Hello and welcome to the Optimus Wellbeing Podcast. In this podcast series, we will be speaking to various educational professionals and people with lived experience to discuss a range of topics that are affecting the mental health and well-being of teachers and pupils. We will also be looking at practical strategies that can be used to improve well-being in schools. In today's episode, we'll be looking at the impact that social media is having on mental health. Last year, The Independent reported that the average Brit checks their phone as much as 28 times a day, whilst The Guardian reported that more than a third of teenagers spend at least three hours a day on social media. So in today's episode, I wanted to delve in a bit deeper and look at how social media is affecting our brains, how it can affect the way children learn in the classroom, and explore ways to make social media habits healthier. Joining us today is Shahana Knight, Hannah Wilson and Edwina Dunn. Shahana is a childhood trauma specialist who runs TPC Therapy. Hannah is the head of secondary teacher training at the University of Buckingham and the co-founder of Hashtag Women Ed. And Edwina is the founder of The Female Lead, an education charity dedicated to offering alternative role models and giving women a platform to share their inspirational stories. So there's currently lots of discussions around the impact that social media is having on our well-being. Shahana, can you tell us a bit more about what social media is actually doing to our brain? So social media and technology itself actually really impacts the way that our brain develops. Devices are actually really, really addictive. And when children are using them, so when they're on social media, when they've got lots of things scrolling in front of them, when the light on the screen's lit up, that actually makes the same part of the brain light up as if they're taking drugs. So when we say that social media technology is addictive, it actually is addictive. It's also a bit of a concern because The way that our brain develops means that we need that social interaction. Um, It means that we need that connection with other people. And, you know, before sort of social media came around, we were connecting with people personally and in the physical world. So that connection would be a conversation with eye contact. You might touch bodies, you might rub each other's shoulders, you might um, give each other a hug, you might laugh and see the other person's facial expressions. And all of that is really important for developing the parts of our brain that help us to connect with people, to develop empathy and relationships and understanding of others, and to read social cues. And those connections are so important for children when they're developing, when they're growing. And social media has shifted that a little bit. I think also thinking about connection and about our relationship with with our parents and the people around us as a child, you know, that connection and those relationships are part of what make us feel like we belong. It's part of what make us feel like people are listening and that we're valued, that we're cared about. Um, And that is so important for our development, for our sense of self and our sense of purpose and worth. And actually, Sometimes social media can take away from that. So if you imagine a child at home whose parents constantly on their phone, that relationship has changed and actually that can form attachment issues. So I think in terms of our brain, we really have to be careful of how social media can impact us and and be aware of these things so that we can change them and help our children. So what about the impact that social media is having on the way that children learn in the classroom? So social media has a real impact in the classroom environment just because of what social media teaches children. So if you think about children at home, you know, spending time on their phones and spending time engaging on platforms like Facebook, um, even WhatsApp, if children are engaging on those platforms, it's teaching them new lessons that maybe conflicts a little bit with the lessons we're trying to teach them in the classroom. So when children come in, 
they're very used to liking photographs. So they like pictures that they um, find interesting or that they enjoy looking at or that, you know, appeals to them. But it's very quick. It's very fast paced. It's quite instant. And then they move on. So they're not actually sitting and appreciating and liking something in the same way that we used to appreciate and like things previously, you know, sitting and studying it, you know, really observing what's going on, being aware of what it is that you like about that thing and what resonates with you, what is it teaching you, none of that is happening on social media. And so then when children come into the classroom, we're expecting them to use those skills that are now not really being learned on social media. So we're asking them to sit down and, you know, read a piece of text for English and then tell us why that piece of text excites them or what's good about that piece of text or um, what resonates with them. And they're not getting that in their day-to-day life on social media. So the skill to be able to pull that and to be able to deliver that is a little bit more difficult um, because their appreciation isn't there. And that's the same for everything. You know, if they get something new, what? how long is their appreciation going to be there for that thing? Because they're being taught to go on to the next thing and like the next thing. Um, so I think in the classroom, that poses sometimes poses a bit of a barrier to teachers then when um, we're asking children to really sort of engage in something and, and give their full attention to that thing. And finally, this issue of being still. So when we're on technology, when we're on social media, we use social media very often to kind of fill the gaps so if you're at home and things are quite quiet you pick up your phone so if children are in their bedroom they've got nothing to do they'll go on their phone if they're downstairs maybe they're watching telly with their family but they're bored they'll go on their phone if they're allowed at any point where they feel like things are a bit silent things aren't really happening they'll go on their phone and so because of that they're never really being still they're never really um, in touch with this sense of peace, this sense of calm. You know, they don't just lie on their bed staring and thinking. They don't sort of reflect and have that time to think about what's going on in their own minds, being aware of their own thoughts. Um, they're not able to process really and, and just kind of think about the world and, and observe the world and watch people and all of those things are really important skills. And when we're not doing that, we're not learning to be still and to be present. So we know that there are lots of children that are free to go on social media whenever they want to and their parents and carers aren't really setting any boundaries. Is there anything that can be done in schools to change children's attitudes towards social media? So I have a few tips. So I think the biggest thing is to teach them about what they're following. So actually what they're following can impact their well-being on a day-to-day basis and their mindset. So if they're following people who make them feel bad about themselves, they need to unfollow those people. If they're following things that maybe make them scared or nervous or have negative thoughts about the world, um, social media stories that maybe aren't even true. Um, So teaching children, what is it that you want to follow? What is it that you want to put in your consciousness every single day and be aware of? Is it negative people, arguments, or is it positive affirmations, positive quotes, people who make you laugh and feel good, people who are sharing stories about helping other people or about being your very best self and what you can achieve in your life. Because actually social media has a place to really raise self-esteem, but it depends on who they choose to follow and what they choose to allow themselves to see. And that's very much in their own control. So as educators in schools, we need to sit down with the children and say, look, 
you know, what are you following? Let's do a social media purge all together. Bring your phones in. Let's have a look at what we're following. Let's decide what is and isn't good for us. That's a brilliant lesson. We don't do that. But for me, that's a really um, relevant lesson that really reflects the day that we're in now and society that we're in now and actually will help teach children a hell of a lot more than some of the lessons maybe that we are teaching. So finding a place for that's important. So I think that's the first one. Also, um, with this idea of being still, so we need to acknowledge that, that that's not happening in school. So teachers need to sort of start to say, well, actually, OK, if children are spending so much time on social media, if it's impacting their ability to be still um, and be calm, I now need to insert that into the way that I teach and teach them that being still, being mindful is so important because it helps to decrease those feelings of anxiousness. It helps to decrease those feelings of depression. It helps us to reflect on our lives and actually helps us to feel a lot happier a lot more connected to ourselves so introduce meditation or um reflective sort of time where they sit and listen to calming music and something that i always say to teachers is box that off through the day so if you've got children coming in um from home maybe they spent some time on social media maybe they've had a difficult morning as soon as they come into your classroom have relaxing music on youtube with a relaxing video where they can see like mountains and outdoors and you know you can get them with really nice pictures as the music plays ask them to sit down take two minutes before you start anything and just say i want you to be still to just really process leave everything at the door calm yourselves down calm that brain down and get ready for learning and you could do the same after break and after dinner as well so i think meditation is a really big one um Teaching them the facts about the brain as well. So what I've just said about, you know, addiction, teach them that it is actually addictive and that that part of the brain that is addictive to technology needs to be in control. We have to take that control. So teach the children about appropriate lengths of time on social media, taking breaks, going out in nature, playing out. Um, teach them that that connection in real life is important. So, you know, do a circle time on what is relationships? What is connection? Is connection liking somebody's picture? Or is connection walking down the street with a friend and having a chat? Which one gives you the better feelings? Which one makes you feel more happy? And have those conversations, have those discussions so that they're upskilled. Hannah, there are lots of discussions about people being on social media too much. So how much is too much? I think there's ongoing debates about um, social media and there's a lot of criticism that social media now rules us but there's also some research that kind of challenges that um so i think it's thinking about which social medias you're using and why and how often so sometimes as a as a teacher as a leader some people say to me oh can you download this app to do this and i'll say no i've got enough apps on my phone already and i think it's about like having purpose about what you're using um and then clearly defining um the space you use in each platform so for example i've got quite strict rules about how i use twitter versus facebook versus linkedin versus instagram i, I kind of compartmentalize my life as far as i can into those different platforms um but then as you become friends with colleagues and stuff sometimes a, a twitter colleague or a linkedin colleague might then become a facebook colleague and i think it's about like having really really clear boundaries so that's that's one of my tips about like defining your different identities and which contacts you need on which one thing that does bug me is just from a kind of a, um, a frequency point of view is that some people will cross um, publish the same thing on all of their platforms so I have to then read it four times so that's a waste of my time and energy so I think you have to be clear about 
um, what you're going to put out on each platform as well and, and filter and streamline what you're saying, not just duplicating it and like mass loading it across everything because that could become quite tedious. I think there's been quite a, a trend recently in like families almost returning to family values and family time and sort of like, like no device time. Um, I've seen a lot of teachers tweeting about sort of like reading and board board games and, and like almost like the things we were brought up with which were part of our family existence prior to the existence of social media but we all fall into those voids of the phones always in the hand and the computers always out so I think that class that digital hygiene having rules and, and routines about like what's the latest you check your phone for example so my my head used to do a great assembly about um, so like putting your phone away an hour before you go to bed that so you haven't got that red light alerting your brain um, having good habits like your phone's being left downstairs in the house and not going to your bedroom so, so I think there's a, a big question there about how much is too much but there's also about ways of chunking it and ways of self-preservation and protecting yourself um, and managing the time to make sure you're not just endlessly scrolling when we think of social media and all the negative connotations that come with it I think it's fair to say that most of us are picturing teenagers what are your thoughts about criticism towards teenagers and social media? I think this is an interesting one because I think we quite often look at the next generation's usage of social media with our generation's lens. And we've been brought up in digital media has been brought into our lives. So I'm, I'm talking about someone who's like late 30s, early 40s. Um, so I think sometimes we have to remember that like young people are growing up in a very different context and their engagement and relationship with social media is very different. So I'll give you an example. There's like when you have a situation perhaps like at the key stage three, key stage four class in a secondary school, and you might have a spate of self-harming, and that normally comes from stems from like body image um, issues or self-esteem issues. Some people's reaction straight away, either as a teacher or as a parent, is well the mobile phone's gonna be taken away. And there's research that shows that actually that's counterintuitive. So I sat on a really interesting um, panel, a place to be panel at the Wellington Education Festival last year. And it was a researcher and a group of teenage girls um, and the CEO of the charity. And they'd done this piece of research around how actually social media can be used for good. And I think we always just go to the negatives of social media. But actually, if you are a self-harmer or you have anorexia, for example, your, your salvation, your support network might be in the virtual world. You might not want to go outside and see people, but actually under your duvet, in your bedroom, that might be your safe space. And it might be the only way you find your voice and find your friends. So by removing the device actually isn't always the best thing to do. And it just made me really think about how we tackle social media issues in schools or as parents, that quite often the device gets banned and removed. But are we really then breaking the cycle and re-educating about how to use your device or social media platforms in, in the right way? Obviously, it's not just young people using these social platforms. What's your opinion about adults and their use of social media? I do think sometimes people sort of like air their dirty laundry a little bit too much on what I call professional platforms. So like my rule is Facebook's for friends and like what you put on Facebook is the kind of the personal stuff and you've got you limit who sees that. And my rule about Facebook is if they wouldn't come to my wedding or to my funeral, then they're not a Facebook friend. Like for me it's like those personal connections. Whereas Twitter and LinkedIn are my professional connections. And I I do see people putting stuff on Twitter which I kind of think, God, if, if someone prints that out and stuck it on your front door or stuck it on your head teacher's desk or pinned it to your to your classroom door and the, and the students read it, 
is it appropriate content? And I think people almost overshare and go too personal sometimes in the Twitter bubble, forgetting that that information can be relayed in the future. Um, and sometimes I see critique on LinkedIn that people are using like Facebook and like putting on holiday snaps and stuff. And LinkedIn is supposed to be a professional network. So I think it's really identifying the kind of the, the etiquettes that are appropriate for each platform and thinking about how much you need to share. Um, I see a lot of people in their bios on social media saying like a retweet's not an endorsement because I think people get into hot water quite a lot if they are seen to be um, reinforcing or sort of like sharing messages that perhaps their their employer wouldn't be aligned to. So I think there's also that to be, in mind, to be mindful of. I know a lot of organisations now have very, very strict social media conduct contracts you have to sign. Um, they, I worked at a map several years ago where they introduced one like mid my employment and it caused a bit of a ruffle because it did feel like we were, we were being censored and we were being controlled. Um, but any new member of staff coming in, they had to sign that waiver as part of their contract. Um, so I think it's being really aware of who you're working for as well. I've always raised it at interview. Like, I am a tweeter, I am a blogger, I am outward facing, I do speak at events. I'll never bring my organisation and my employer into disrepute, but I have got quite strong opinions. Is that okay? And if it's not okay, then I have to then question, well, is this the right employer for me to be working for? You can find a whole school social media code of conduct on our member website. If you're interested in this code, go to oego.co forward slash social hyphen media hyphen code. So how can teachers or any member of staff role model good practice on social media? I think that role modeling of best practice is, is just being mindful of what you say and how you say it. So I am quite shocked when I see um, people on social media like going in on each other, like really like being quite antagonistic and provocative, like borderline bullying and not behaving in an adult way or a professional way or not being a role model. And we and we have such high expectations of the children in their schools or how they behave. Quite often we'll see that the parents and carers perhaps don't model those kind of behaviours on social media. And I actually wrote a parent um, social media contract at my last school. We had so many problems with how parents and carers were behaving on Facebook and like airing dirty laundry on external platforms that really needed to be an email to an inbox to be, to be sort of like dealt with in a conversation. So we had to hold them to account. So I think there's a whole piece here about like you can't get away from the fact that children in primary and secondary schools are going to be digitally savvy and they are going to have devices and they are going to come to school with a lot more skills than we're going to have at all. Um, but I think it's then about educating um, how to behave appropriately. And it's also about then when you do see people behaving inappropriately, how you challenge it. Calling out the misconduct, I think, is key. Um, there's been a lot of articles recently about like calling out versus calling in and does it always need to be overt and explicit and sort of external. So if I see someone who either I think is a cry for help or someone who's been a bit perhaps antagonistic on social media, I'll quite often just send in the DM and just say, is everything all right? Like, do you want to have a chat or should we move it off of external comms to internal comms? So we can kind of like calm it down. And if in doubt, I block people. I, I meet people, I block people. I think we have to remember that we've got our lives, our real, our real world, real time lives. And then we have our virtual lives. And I don't tolerate behaviours in the virtual world that I wouldn't tolerate in the real world. Um, I think it's really important to remember that. I think people do get like, sucked into this kind of black hole that is Twitter, for example. 
And I think sometimes you've got to step away from your phone or your computer and go out and take a deep breath and go for a walk and, and get, a bit, get a bit of perspective. So going back to children and teenagers, for me, I don't think that taking social media away is really the answer when it comes to the negative impact that social media can have on our health. And that's where organisations such as the Female Lead come in. Edwina, can you tell us a bit more about the Female Lead? The Female Lead is a not-for-profit campaign. Uh, we're focused on uh, supporting schools and universities right across the UK and USA. And we're effectively delivering a book and films um, which showcase more diverse, better role models so that particularly girls can see um, success and fulfilment in lots of different ways. And in your research, what have you found about the relationship between girls and social media? So we find that social media, we found girls are consuming up to six hours of social media a day, which, you know, completely blew my mind. And, you know, we did some quantitative analysis, which was we analysed what they were consuming. And it was really a very um, single diet of um primarily celebrity and fashion so on that sort of very single diet there's really no variety and the impact of that is that it's it has a very negative um repercussion on how they start to feel about are they good enough are they beautiful enough are they slim enough and um, and so we were really keen in in trying to sort of change some of that constantly served up diet of of just you know one single dimension how you look. So the research we did um, was uh, we spoke to girls in schools. We worked with Dr. Terry Apter, who's a female brilliant psychologist, and uh, we interviewed them nearly a year apart and asked them about who they followed and how it made them feel. And then we went back six months later um, to find out, um, having introduced to them up to four new female lead role models that they sort of showed some interest whether that was a career choice or or just general interest and then spoke to them afterwards and and asked them how did it make them feel you know what did they think having seen it and um you know we were really amazed by the results because there was just an overwhelming change in their feedback and their reaction to these role models that were doing things that interested them and, you know, clearly had the effect of increasing their confidence, giving them a different thing to think about, a different goal to follow. And so Dr. Apter was really able to conclude that, you know, changing the feed of um, role models would have and has had a very positive impact on self-perception, self-worth. But you've mainly talked about girls. How does this differ for boys? 
It's really interesting that this problem is very specifically about girls. What we find is boys have a very more mixed diet of what they consume on social. They're very interested in sports. And so sports stars come in, you know, as a sort of really major interest for them. But, you know, also business, also politics, gaming, comedy, so, you know, that variety gives them a more balanced view of the world and the way in which they perceive their own life and, and their own way of thinking. So what is the female lead essentially trying to achieve? So the idea is that you can't really change the fact that girls will continue to consume a lot on social media. But I liken it to the fact that we all like a takeaway every now and again. Um, But if you solely eat takeaways, you begin to feel a bit sick and nauseous. And so what we're trying to introduce is some good home-cooked food with a bit of vegetable and fruit thrown in so that people actually start to feel better on a mixed diet. So, I mean, essentially, we're introducing some new women for girls to follow um, that they can self-select, but just mix it up a bit so that it's things that, you know, they're interested in, a little bit of science, a little bit of, you know, female authors or philanthropists, And that new diet, that mix of new women, seems to have this incredibly positive attitude. So the campaign's called Disrupt Your Feed, and it's really just encouraging people to start following different women. And um, and that, we find, has been sufficient in getting them to start feeling better. And finally... How can schools use the female lead to support their pupils? We've actually now started female lead societies in um, well over 100 schools and universities. So the idea is that girls within the school start to be the ambassadors for the female lead, start to share stories of these other women, um, feeds, Um, recommending to other girls and boys within the school these may be people you're interested in and so these societies now can receive content from us term by term and they can run debates um, interactive sessions where they kind of talk about you know who did you find interesting why did you find them interesting and it mixes up changes the conversation so we find that you know girls until recently just will cite their mother or their grandmother as a role model um nothing wrong with that at all but at least now they have a more wide-ranging selection of women that they can say and this person you know and you know, Michelle Obama or Greta Thunberg or many other women that grab their attention. A huge thank you to Edwina, Hannah and Shahana for joining us. The key thing I've taken away from this episode is that no matter what people think about social media, we need to accept that it's now something that is part of everyday life and will more than likely continue to grow and develop. Although we need to be aware of the negative impact that social media can have on our health, and this is something that should be taught from an early age, 
We also need to acknowledge the positive aspects that social media can have, such as giving people support networks and allowing us to connect with each other. I think the most important thing we need to focus on is who we're following and how it makes us feel. Social media has the power to inspire and really raise self-esteem, but this all depends on who we're following and ultimately, this is really a personal choice. Thanks for listening.